0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45
1: up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: This is the Cork Today replay on C103 as we welcome you along to the programme, we've got John Paul taking your calls at 1850 333 103. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103103 103. I'm delighted to say the head cold appears to be clearing. I did lots of nasal inhalations yesterday and thank you to listeners sending in tips and words of advice yesterday. Extremely kind of you. So I seem to be battling it and getting over it and uh, thank you, thanks to people for their concerns uh, yesterday but it is literally just a had head cold, I did have the COVID test I did rule out uh, COVID and that's the problem isn't it and that's the way it is going to be as we certainly go through this winter with colds and flu viruses and it's that time of the year uh, for it and every time you end up getting a sore throat or a cough or a runny nose there's always the danger of could it be uh, COVID so you have to err on the side of getting checked and uh, I think lots of us will be heading for more of those checks before we see the back of this pandemic Uh, for sure. Now going through the papers this morning can I just say because it's in all of the papers and indeed there's photographs as well of uh, Elaine Hennessy from Mitchestown. and just to say to Elaine that we're very much thinking of her and her family uh, today obviously yesterday must have been a very very tough day for Elaine and the rest of the family because it was her dad Paddy And her uncles, Johnny and Willie, it was their inquest, which was held in Mallow yesterday into their very, very tragic death at the family farm in Corrigorum near Mitchellstown in uh, February of uh, this year. And just just a tough, tough thing for the family to have to go through and for Elaine, because it was Elaine and her mother who found her brother, her dad's body and uh, one of the uncle's bodies and that wasn't a nice thing for any daughter to find your dad in, in a condition like that. Anyway, I'm not going to get into what was announced at the inquest yesterday because there was a lot of detail on the news yesterday and it is detailed in all of the papers today but just, I just want to comment and mention it because Elaine Hennessy had very kindly joined us on the programme. She was doing a piece it was a very one of those powerful interviews. She was doing a piece about a out that she was having in Mitchellstown for suicide awareness she's a very very brave young woman but just to, uh, and i know there's been so many sad inqu- inquests uh, for here in cork over the last a uh, number of uh, days but i just uh, and you know all of them utterly heartbreaking but just as we have a connection with elaine on the program just to say we are thinking of her and the her family 185333103 booster doses of <laughs> The world and his, well, for some, the world and his mother are looking to get boosters. Others seem to be slow about going for their booster jabs. And then for people who have already received their booster jab, we had a number of people contacting us, some saying they did get a card when they got their vaccination, others saying they didn't, and others wondering when is it going to be updated on their COVID vaccine passport? Well, I've had an email in from Eddie in West Cork to say, Patricia, I got my COVID booster in the first week of October, uh, I indeed did get a card with a print saying, please retain for your records. However, on my mobile app, when I look at my COVID tracker, the part, the, the digital COVID certificate, the booster is not mentioned. It just says status, fully vaccinated, total number of doses, two I feel, says Eddie, that that simply is not good enough. For international travel, the checkpoints in harbours and airports, etc., they won't be happy with a handwritten card on which even my first name is wrongly written. The HSE should organise this now because the COVID certificate is certainly going to be needed for a few years to come. Kind regards, uh, Eddie in West Cork. Now, we did get on to the HSE... Late last week, I think, when this issue first came in about would the COVID, the digital COVID certificate be updated and we've been told by the HSE that no, they're not updating the COVID uh, certificate and uh, they have no plans to update it. Now, whether that's going to change I don't know, because I know, for example, in Israel, where they have their own type of digital COVID certificate, when they introduce boosters for everybody over the age of 12, they have insisted that you can't, your COVID certificate is invalid unless you have your booster jab. Now, don't know if that's going to happen here, and there certainly is no talks of that happening here, but maybe there will come a time if there is a further rollout of the booster that everyone is going to have a, a have to have the booster in order to have their COVID certificate valid. But for now, it's just your two dose or your one dose in the case of Johnson & Johnson. And that says your status is fully vaccinated. But Eddie, no, for now, no plans to update your digital COVID certificate. And I'm reading in the papers, and this ties in, I think, with the number of calls that we've been receiving to the programme for people in their 60s, the 60-69 age group, many of them desperate to get their booster and wondering how long more they're going to have to wait because we were initially told people would have to wait six months after their second jab in order to get the booster. That seems to be changing, though. That seems to be any time from five months you can get your booster jab. And it seems there are thousands of people in their 60s who may now spend Christmas on the sidelines without the protection of the COVID-19 uh, booster. Uh, more than three quarters of the 4,000 and... 475,000 people aged 60 to 69 they were the ones that got the AstraZeneca they are going to they had to wait longer to get their second jab many not getting their second jab until June or uh, July and of course at the time back in June and July they were given out about it because it meant even younger people in their household were getting fully vaccinated ahead of them and for many of those in their 60s they had a summer where they curtailed all their activity waiting to be fully vaccinated and it looks like it may be the same they may not be able to socialise with the same degree of confidence as when they'd have their booster this uh, Christmas. Uh, thousands of them will not meet. It's now five to six month deadline needed before they're eligible for the booster shot. So I was I read with interest Kingston Mills. Kingston is the professor of immunology in Trinity College and he said yesterday that he very much saw a case for expediating the booster shot for the 66, 60 to 69 year olds in light of Christmas socialising risk and he believed that it would be safe for this age group to get vaccinated before that. He says and I quote it would be good for this age group to get vaccinated before Christmas. He says four or five or six months would not make a huge difference scientifically but it certainly would make a big difference difference in terms of protection of that particular age group. But then earlier yesterday, I heard the Chief Medical Officer Tony Houlihan saying that some people had been called by the HSE for a booster uh, jab, but they weren't rushing to go for the appointment. He said the HSE were facing a bit of a challenge and we've been told by some people who were invited for a booster, oh sorry I can't make it on Friday because I've got a hair appointment or I can't make it on Friday afternoon because I've got work commitments and Tony Hulahan was saying look now was not the time to be putting off your booster jab but I wonder, I'd be interested in figures because on the number of people who are turning down a booster and saying give me a date later on because certainly the numbers of people contacting us here in the 60 to 60 are desperate. They really want to roll up their sleeves and they really want uh, to get their booster. And of course, Tony Houlihan yesterday was speaking amid the modelling forecasts and there was really worrying modelling forecasts that around 200,000 people could become infected with the virus in the month of uh, December If that came to pass, that would mean about 4,000 people would end up in hospital and out of that, about 450 would end up needing to have intensive care over Christmas. Those kind of figures uh, would just frighten the life out of you. Dr Tony Tony Houlehan said the number of infections could reach even double the 200,000 figure. If we don't do something to change it, yesterday 634 people were in hospital, 119 of them seriously ill. That intensive care number is increasing day by day. Dr. Huland said the key measure was for people to reduce the number of people they meet up with, reduce the risk of the virus being uh, passed on. And reading the Irish Independent today they show a high number of people eligible for a booster shot that have still yet to receive it. And they do a breakdown of the numbers. They say the majority of nursing home residents over the age of 65, they've received a booster. That certainly is uh, good news. But the people over 80 out in the community, there's about 30,000 of those still to get a booster. When you look at the 70 to 79 age group, less than half have been vaccinated. The GP practices are still working through that. And then in the 60 to 69, that figure of 475,000 people, only 22,200 have received a dose so far. So that's a very low figure in the 60 to 69. And the HSC now under pressure to roll out the boosters And that's led just to a significant improvement in containing the spread of the virus in the over 80s. So even the HSE themselves can see from their own figures because they have so many of the over 80s done at this stage and they can already see a fall in infections in that age group and they're saying that's directly attributed to the booster. And there was a number of different parliamentary parties held yesterday including a Fianna Fáil parliamentary party and the Taoiseach Micheál Martin speaking at that he said he had asked NIAC to review the five month time frame for the booster shots and he in particular wants them to take a look at those who received the one shot Johnson Johnson vaccine now there was a small they, it was probably one of the smallest number were given the Johnson & Johnson vaccine but if you look to America who gave out a huge amount of the one shot Johnson & Johnson they're already seeing that waning in a number of different age groups so Neil Martin is saying to Nyack you particularly need to look at people who did get the Johnson & Johnson and do they need to get their booster shot and do they need to get it uh, quicker. He was speaking to TDs you're know all TDs and he said people need to reduce their contacts uh, our hospital and the intensive care would be at capacity before Christmas and as we've all known Everything has been done to protect our hospital uh, systems, because by protecting our hospital systems, we protect all of us. Thank you to Stephen in Clonakilty who took time to contact the programme because he wants to acknowledge an act of kindness that was done to him last uh, Thursday. He wants us to publicly thank Alan Davis of the West Cork Connect bus Stephen says that Alan brought me down from the 4pm service last Thursday from Patrick's Quay in the city centre back to Clonakilty. I asked him if he could lower the lift of the bus to make it easier for me to get on and off. He was so kind in helping me get on the bus and helping me to get off the bus again in Clonakilty. I feel acts of kindness like this should be mentioned and called out for what they were. So well done to Alan Davis and the gang at West Cork uh, Connect and well done to you Stephen for taking the time to contact us this morning so we could say well done to Alan. So if anybody is on the West Cork Connect bus today and Alan Davis is on it, give him a round of applause will you and tell him we were talking about him on the radio. And we spoke yesterday about insurances and how... It was Dermot Jewell of the Consumer Association. God, I thought he was really angry yesterday when he was giving out about the insurance companies exploiting people, particularly during the pandemic when we weren't able to drive anywhere. And uh, yet our premiums, they're meant to be coming down, but certainly if they are coming down, they're not coming down by a lot. And I would have to say, anecdotally, People I would know who got car, who've had their car insurance premiums. Nobody seems to be ringing me and I don't, anyone of my friends I'm chatting to, nobody's saying they're getting much lower uh, premiums and certainly calls to this programme. People saying that they're not getting lower premiums. Kieran was on to say his renewal arrived in and uh, his son said, give me a look at that. Uh, I'll try and save you money. So his son went online and got it €170 Euro cheaper everything cover wise was the same so Kieran said the message today is very much to shop around 1850 333103 Dermot and Wilton has been on to us saying we're hearing of bars closing at midnight and that comes in from tonight Uh, Dermot says what he's seen a lot of students this morning walking towards the city centre on the Glashley on the the Road and College Road all wearing winter jumpers and Christmas jumpers so much for the midnight closing and Paul tells me it's that special event that happens every year for the colleges where they have always around the end of November is it a bit early this year where they have like their own Christmas day they do a kind of a special Christmas day uh, because obviously they're all going to be at home with their own family so they won't be together for Christmas day so they get out and celebrate as if it is Christmas day amongst their college friends and they seem to be doing it today hence the reason that you will see young students wearing Christmas jumpers and winter jumpers heading out nice and early to the pubs God bless their livers and Joe says uh, school transport. School transport for primary, post primary, for second level is going back to 100% capacity and on some routes. It already is at 100% uh, capacity. He feels this phasing out of the restrictions on the buses is wrong. We have COVID numbers increasing. Joe says uh, we should be very worried about this. He feels it is the wrong decision because you're going to have young people all sitting on the bus going to and from school with 100% uh, capacity. We were at one stage, was it down to 50% at one stage? He feels that's a wrong decision on behalf of the Department of Education to reduce the those restrictions particularly now when our COVID figures are so high 1850 333 John Paul's taking your calls you can text you can WhatsApp to 0862 103
0: 103 Court Today on C103
3: With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor home business farm life and health insurance cmig.ie
2: Just a couple of people on, on boosters uh, Anne says Patricia I received the Johnson & Johnson single shot factory. Back in June, I'm getting my booster of Pfizer vaccine on this Saturday in Cork City Hall. I'm 62 years of age and delighted to be receiving the booster. Uh, Well done. That's from Anne. Thank you for that, Anne. And then another Anne says, "Uh, I'm in my 60s. I got my two COVID injections in Mallow. Will they notify me when I'm due the booster uh, injection? I would have got a July, um, was the, May was my second, I would have got July, was May 2nd injection. I take it it was July may and july with the two anyway I'd be confused absolutely yeah you get you will get uh, notified even though if you're in your 60s can i say to people keep a look out at local pharmacies we're having a local pharmacist join us tomorrow it seems pharmacies now depending on how many vaccines they get in but they're now starting to administer vaccines. I think it's only to people in their 60s so we'll find out more about that tomorrow but I would check in if you are in your 60s uh, check in with a local pharmacy to see if, if they have any vaccines and if they are administering them because then a worried Mitchelstown listener says I haven't got my booster yet I'm 76 so I have inquired about it I'm told I will be contacted thanking you and if you're in your 70s which this listener is you will be contacted by your doctor because those in their 70s are getting it from their GP but you're all I can tell you you, you, you won't take much comfort from this, but you're not on your own. People are over 70, 70, to 79, 336,000 people to get a booster. Only 114,000 so far, so less than half of the 70s, 79s have received their booster jab, but you will get it. You certainly will be contacted by your uh, doctor. 1850-333-103. Now, to move to something completely different, Cork County Council have expressed disappointment at the slower than envisaged rollout of broadband in parts of the county, especially in some areas of North Cork. Local Councillor Frank Flynn joins me this morning with his concerns. Good morning to you, Frank. Um,
4: good morning, Patricia. Good morning, listeners.
2: And you're welcome. Now, officials at of the council say that Canturk will not be surveyed until 2023 into 2024, but for Moy, bless their souls, we will have an even longer wait until 2025 into 2026. Were you shocked to hear that?
4: Absolutely amazed. Um, our director, uh, Louis Duffy, gave the report at last Monday's council meeting. And I said it was absolutely crazy. We are talking, Patricia, again about a survey. We all know a quality broadband service in all, in businesses and homes and in families, is, is as important to as electricity was in the top and fort with no technology, with no equipment, we'll take um, electricity up and down by roads, up and, and with no JCBs, everything was done physical. But today we have no modern technology. And again, another survey, another survey. It's another survey. I personally believe this is a delaying tactic. And he mentioned 2025, possibly 2026, before the survey even starts. Patricia, you're talking and listeners. I'd say I'll talk about 20-30. Do,
2: Do we know country. what is the time lag between a survey of an area and actual delivery of broadband to a given area? That's one
4: thing. I asked the question. I couldn't get the answer to that. They couldn't give the answer. It all depended on the survey. Depended on how long it took and it depended on the results of it. And then they would give a report on it. Patricia, North Cork is as big as Nimerick City and County. We in North Cork have waited far too long. As I said at the meeting, we are the forgotten area. Norcock is the two, in 72 and 73, the three towns from I, Richstown. It's the economic f- future of the whole area. And so, as I said, this is important. You're talking about businesses, you're talking about farming, you're talking about education. I a student last year doing an actuarial exam, his top year, and he failed. He couldn't, he had the exam done, he couldn't download it. When he got the Cork, he was told he was
2: late. It's absolutely Ah, crazy. that's shocking. And was I there any on, reason given why the North no, Cork no, area would no have to reason. wait? No,
4: all We said was, and I forced him, out, that uh, Louis Duffy said he'd take it up with the department. he also, um, also decided we'd write to the Minister, Eamon Ryan. I've been from my company at the moment. We're doing a, a major development. And they're seriously talking about the future expansion. They're dealing with all of Ireland, Europe, and, and worldwide. They're a growing company, providing good quality jobs, they're within two to two and a half miles of a mile. Air is coming down either side. When they contact them, the doctor, oh, we, we can't do it. Your air code wasn't on the system. It wasn't on the list. And they can contact no one. Everything is done by email. There's no one on the other side of the phone. Where are we going in this country? It's absolutely impossible. Then We have the, we have people in the villages, and and yesterday evening I got a phone call to the and enlistors. He, he has signed up for the Air 300. That's the air system it was all out about two, two and a half years ago. Well. He said, they can't do this, they can't do that. They couldn't tell him exactly when he's likely to be connected. He can't, he can't talk to anyone. He can't and to someone in India. We want someone who can look look the person in the eye, see exactly what's happening. But I personally feel we cannot wait any longer. Broadband, as I said, is as necessary now as a quality broadband, as electricity well, was. Electricity
2: and we've, we've likened it to the rural electrification on many, many occasions. So the lack of broadband is very much affecting the area, Frank.
4: Just, listen, I got like that company from mine. They're seriously thinking of not going here with their expansion. Ah. companies. are numerous companies. Now, and, now, we're all talking now. The new norm now, the new norm now is working from home. How can people work from home when they have no broadband? We're expecting people to stay local and shop local. Now, and now of the businesses now telling me they're, they're gone online for the first time. How can these council will give me a voucher scheme and set him up? And, and encourage them and showing how they can go online and set up the systems. And we're giving a vote, a, a, a very good grant from the Economic Section of Cockroach Council. There's a massive undertaking there. But broadband is leaving people down. People tell me, now people are walking out 23, 24 hours a day. It's a necessity, and it, as, as, as I said, as electricity. And we cannot wait any longer. So we are writing to the Minister. We're asking, what's wrong with Narcop? We are the forgotten area. When, talk about doing a survey, Patricia, again in 2025, and no doubt that will be delayed. There'll be some other reason.
2: Well, I was re- I was reading in the paper today, uh, the minister was talking about plans to accelerate and meet missed uh, timelines and he was saying that he was hoping that they would catch up on missed timelines but that wouldn't happen until next year 2023. But that's for areas that have a promise of 2023 but for, I mean, what, what those dates that I gave for, for moi. They're not even going to be looked at until 2025, 2026. And Eamon Ryan, the minister with responsibility for the rollout of broadband, uh, told an Aroctus committee yesterday that the project had been slowed down by difficulties associated with bringing contractors into the country due to the pandemic. And also, uh, Section 254 planning guidelines, uh, which covered the construction of poles. I mean, God only knows. This. Oh, there's I'll tell you what there's, you there's all. You talk, a g- When I
4: said the meeting, now, and I'll say it again today, on behalf of everyone in Northcork, I talk about the Femai, Mitchellstown, Donwell, all the surrounding areas and villages. We need action. We need real action. And we need it now on the rollout of high-speed broadband. And I tell you what, there's millions and billions and billions of pounds being spilled. No one knows exactly. I I actually called on the Minister to do an urgent report what is happening with the rollout, especially in Cork County and especially in Northcork. We cannot wait. Businesses can wait. A farming community can wait. And it's a necessity. People, how are people going to work from home even with COVID? Next is impossible. And I, I think, we, as I said, we want action. Patricia, it's the biggest issue I'm getting now as councillors. It's nearly as big now as housing. I'm getting more phone calls about now every single day of the week, every single day of the week, every single hour. What's happening with the broadband? Just promises, promises, promises. The time for promises has, has ended. The time now is for real action and for real action is rolled out of a high-speed fibre-optic broadband throat in our we need it, the community okay. needs it, and I, as a councillor, we're not going to take this down line down. Okay, we want to we'll, know we'll, we'll will
2: await to see the response and keep us updated on the response from the minister. But just while I have you on the line, spotted in the Avondu this week's Avondu that there is a, a protest to be held today by members of uh, Mitchisdale community in response to the council's perceived inaction on the site of a building collapse at forty nine Upper Cork Street. What do you know of that, Frank?
4: I do, uh, petition listeners. A building collapsed in Upper Cock Street, Mrs. Town, on the 7th of July last. And we're very, very lucky that was, it happened in the evening around 6, half 6, that there was no one actually hurt or killed. Thanks be to God. There was no one. And the adjoining building is, is also involved, and possibly the top building. There are three, there are three privately owned buildings. Uh, I'm calling on Cock County Council. I did it is the wind of the day that we want a speedy. A solution to this issue. We know there's three, uh, three people, but but the buildings are dangerous, and I think Hackney Council should, should move immediately. Now we've done the consultation on it. They're talking to, us, uh, to our legal people, and we expect to have an early solution with their suggestions early next week. It needs to be. De- I, I'm looking at
2: pictures away. of it. It needs to be
4: demolished. It needs to be demolished. There's at least two buildings. if not three. Who who owns who owns those buildings? Are they private. Pri- the two buildings are they're private. All three buildings are actually private. More than likely, Patricia and listeners, when we take down the two buildings, there's a possibility that the Todman could be involved. Wow. They're privately owned, separate insurance companies, but all of Narcoc, all of up the Cork the business is there, and, and it's you me, very, very slow. It's also a danger to the pedestrians. It can be very, very dangerous. We need an urgent solution to this, and we need it now. No, it, can't be left,
2: it can't be left done. in that
4: condition. They're talking to the legal people, and we said we want action. We're told we'll have that report next week business want to be taken down and the street opened up again and the footpath to the pedestrians and to the business people and michelin at the moment it slowed down the traffic and people are not going near that upper cross right now so the businesses are suffering and lead up to christmases this is the wrong and you can say coming out people coming into the town of michelin a beautiful town a great town to shop and british was asking everyone to stay local and shop local and what i would say send your Christmas this year in your local town <laughs> in your local village
2: well Bend done well money. done and yes, according to the Avenue, that protest has been held at 12 noon today at the site of the collapsed building on Upper Cork Street okay Frank we leave it there thank you for that and uh, thank thanks you, for Mr. joining Church. us good morning to you bye bye that is uh, North Cork uh, Councillor Frank O'Flynn, 1850 333103 John Paul taking your calls Cork Today on C103
3: with Sean Cusack Insurances as Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.
2: A crime against humanity. That's how one Cork resident described some 20 empty houses in his immediate neighbourhood. It was during a protest against vacancies in the current housing crisis recently. Solidarity TD Deputy McBarry is also frustrated about the time it's taking the council to turn around vacant properties. And Deputy McBarry Barry uh, joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Mick. Hi, Patricia. You're welcome to the programme. Now, the the resident was talking about vacant houses uh, near the Blackpool area. On average, how long is it taking the council to turn around a vacant property?
1: 63 weeks.
2: 63 weeks?
1: Yeah. Over a year? One year and 11 weeks is the average that it takes Cork City Council to turn around a vacant property. 53 weeks is the average that it takes Cork County Council to turn around a vacant property. So in other words, in the middle of the biggest housing crisis in the history of the state, both local authorities in the Cork area are taking more than a year on average to turn around a vacant house. And the message from the protest the other day is that this is completely unacceptable.
2: Could it be that some of these properties are in such a bad condition that they're taking longer?
1: Yes, uh, that, uh, undoubtedly that is the case. Um, but they can't
2: all be in bad condition.
1: No, um, you you would be talking in terms of a relatively small minority uh, of vacant local authority houses that need major surgery, if you want to put it that way, done to them. Uh, a clear majority, a big majority, uh, are houses that could and should be turned around in a far, far shorter time than 53 or 63 weeks.
2: Yeah, I, I'm thinking you go in, you check the plumbing, you check the electrics, you do a paint job. I mean, how much more needs to be done?
1: Well, there, there can be a bit more done because um, sometimes uh, you will have someone who's lived in a house for decades and there's there's higher standards now in terms of insulation, in terms of windows, in terms of doors, and there will be a fair bit of work to be done. But still, even in that instance, Uh, you might be looking uh, at a couple of months as opposed to a couple of weeks. Certainly you wouldn't be talking about a year year and more. And it's not just um, the length of time. It's the the scale of this issue, okay? So we know that, according to the last census, census, (laughs) I managed to get that out, there were 183 vacant properties in the state. The question is, how many of them are owned by the state? How many of them are local authority houses, for example? And the answer is, we don't know. The Department of Housing was questioned on this uh, in the Dáil at the start of the summer. Uh, they had instructed the 31 local authorities to compile a list of how many local authority houses were vacant in their area. Yeah. But th- but they hadn't brought it together to compo- to compo- to compile uh, I'm really stumbling over your words this morning. And that,
2: surely that's an easy enough thing for each local authority to do, to go out and do a check on. I, I mean, I imagine that information is available on computer anyway.
1: The, the local authorities have done it, but the Department of Housing uh, hasn't contacted them uh, to get the figures and to top them up. Uh, the Irish Times reported a few weeks ago that at the start of the pandemic, there was 5,000 vacant uh, local authority houses just under in the state as a whole. Uh, And we know, thanks to Councillor Fiona Ryan in Cork City Council, that uh, uh, at the end of quarter two this year, Cork City Council had uh, more than 400 uh, vacant houses. So the idea that there would be, you know, um, a big number of vacant houses in the Roaches' buildings, Sutton's buildings, area where the protest was held the other day, that's by no means uh, an exception, uh, and and this this is just not acceptable, and it has to be has to be sorted out, and it will take cash, right? So uh, the government's uh, defence is they put in place a scheme with forty four million available for direct funding from the Department of Housing to fix up. Uh, vacant houses yeah,
2: they this, this was the scheme that was launched I was reading about this yesterday by the housing minister Dara O'Brien launched back in May 44.7 million euro available to the 31 local authority councils uh, they were to apply and it was to do up ha- houses and the plan was that 3,000 vacant homes would be refurbished and relet around the country do we know how many of that 3,000 have been relet
1: we don't um But even if um, uh, a good head start has been made on that, it's still a half measure. And when you're in an emergency situation, you need emergency measures, not half measures. So in what way is it a half measure? Well, okay. Cork City Council uh, have uh, applied for funding to do up 241 houses. So that's a little more than half of the vacant houses in Cork City. So... Let's say that they're all done within the space of a year, okay? Mm. So they've sorted out half of their vacant houses, and in the meantime, another hundred have come on stream, right? Mm. So you're still left with uh, a very high number of vacant houses. It's a half measure. What's needed is an emergency measure, but this government don't seem to be capable of handling emergencies very well as we're seeing with the COVID situation. Yeah,
2: well. and, and I don't know if this is too simplistic an answer, but you know when some people hand back a council house and, and we, you hear it every now and again, that some people hand it back and it's almost in near perfect uh, c- uh, condition. Uh, you will hear people who are just so desperate for housing say, give me the keys and I'll do whatever needs to be done up on that house. I'll, I'll do it myself. But that's never an option for people.
1: Yeah, I have heard that line of argument. Uh, of course, what you can, what can happen in that circumstance is that, in 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 some cases, the the, the work would be done well, and in other cases, uh, the work would be done not so well. You know. Yeah. Um So it, it it would be best, all things considered, uh, that you had the councils doing this work uh, and doing it on a on a proper uh, basis.
2: Yeah, but i'm just but thinking with with the crisis you know we just need to be thinking outside outside of the box so is is it so it's a funding issue but is it also a staffing issue
1: i think it is i think uh the generally speaking local authorities their, their maintenance departments have been run down
5: yeah
1: uh, not just over the last year or two but over a period of a decade and more now um and the tendency is to try and privatise the work and give it out to uh, private uh, Remember,
2: Remember back in the day when the ca- all the local authorities would have their own plumbers and carpenters and electricians? That's, that's gone, is it?
1: Back in the day, I, I still think that they're skeleton crews, but by, back in the day, the carpenters, uh, the council didn't just have their own carpenters, electricians and plumbers. They had their old, uh, own building units and they, had, they were directly involved uh, in building social housing. And I was only thinking about that this morning. I read the article in the Examiner, you probably saw it there yourself, uh, that there was only one property in all of Cork City and County, uh, which is available at the moment uh, for uh, rental on the basis of the HAP scheme.
2: I saw right? that. I, God, scary. That is scary. That, but that so- the
1: limits on the HAP scheme are, are so far below the rent that the landlords are charging, that there's only one property. And the idea that there's only one property available for people in need of social housing on the HAP scheme at a time when there are hundreds and hundreds of houses owned and controlled by Cork City Council and Cork County Council, which are vacant, completely unacceptable
2: Yeah because uh, the is saying uh, while Mick is talking about Cork uh, City we also have a problem here in Cork County a house I know has been idle for over two years the council got it ready to let out last Christmas it was advertised uh, what's the excuse when there are so many homeless families you would hear yeah. stories like that Mick
1: Absolutely um, and one of the things uh, we were just talking about this after the protest on Monday and uh, myself and some of the residents Um, One of the things that we need to look at is we had a very successful campaign five, six years ago uh, where we organized tens and hundreds of thousands of people on the streets to push the government back on their plans to bring in water charges and to privatize our water supply. Um, I think the idea is growing in people's minds now that, you know, maybe we need to do the same thing on the issue of housing. And if, if a small local protest like the one on Monday was to help sow the seed in people's mind that what we need is a mass housing protest uh, campaign in this country, uh, well, then I, th- I, th- I think it will have uh, been of some value. OK.
2: And, and you, we also need to remember for local residents like those ones that were out uh, protesting, nobody wants to live beside or near vacant houses. It isn't good for a community.
1: No, there's there's a number of issues with uh, vacant houses. Uh, number one, they, they can become a magnet uh, for antisocial behaviour. Uh, they can become a magnet uh, for uh, dumping of uh, waste and rubbish. Uh, and also, they offer up an insult on a daily basis to people who walk by them, drive by them, or see them, who are on the housing waiting list or maybe have a son and daughter who've been on the waiting list for seven, eight, nine, ten years. Uh, also, if you want to look at it in terms of pound, shillings and pence, uh, it doesn't make sense from the point of view of the councils because in some cases you have to pay money to security uh, companies to board them up uh, and to stop them from being vandalised. And they're not receiving a penny in rent when you could have a tenant in there paying rent week in and week out. Yeah, and so, socially and financially. Yeah,
2: and it would save the government if the person is, invi- is they're paying half out to a person. I mean, it's a win-win all round. Here's a, a listener uh, who signs themselves an ex Cork City council employee. Patricia, I used to work in housing maintenance, and there's one major issue that no one uh, mentions. That problem is staff. They just won't employ the staff they need. If they had one crew. Permanently dedicated to vacant housing, we wouldn't have the problem we have today. It is all down to staff. And that signed an ex Cork City Council employee. So, and, and in fairness to Mick, you did mention that. I mean, we, maybe that's what we need to get back to.
1: Uh, well, as the young people say, Patricia. Yeah. (laughs) 100%. I agree with that one completely.
2: Okay. All right. Listen, uh, Mick, we leave it there. Thank you for that. And thanks uh, thanks, uh, for joining us on the programme. That is uh, Cork City uh, Solidarity Doll Deputy Mick uh, Barry. And certainly frustrating, 100% frustrating for people who are on the council's waiting list. For people who are struggling to get rented properties and I did read what Mick spoke about in the paper today there's only one house across Cork City and County for somebody today who's trying to rent a house and they have a HAP payment, just one house available and you can imagine the number of people who are scrambling to try to rent a property and we have this ongoing housing crisis and an ongoing homeless uh, situation and of course the homeless numbers we can never get an accurate figure on that because we have people living in in people living in with their parents with people living in with other siblings you know you could have two and three families sharing one house so that families don't end up h- homeless and of course because they have a roof over the head they're not deemed uh, homeless we need to do something and we certainly not need to start thinking outside the box. Eighteen fifteen three we're going to take a break we do have news at 11 on the way in the next hour we're seeing the worrying results of a report looking at what children access online and also the real worry that a proportion of our young people are meeting up with complete strangers uh, who they've only met online and they're meeting up with them in person and that's certainly a fear for every parent. Uh, John Paul, taking your calls, you can text their WhatsApp to 0862 103
0: 103. Cork Today on C103.
3: With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. dot I E. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
2: By the way, somebody, was it Sheila, sent in a text earlier saying. Uh, Patricia how did you cure your head cold you sounded like you were dying yesterday you sound perfect today what's your secret uh, says well it's still a bit there but certainly it's a lot better than yesterday it seems to have moved down into my throat my throat is more scratchier today than it was yesterday but the the nose I, I tell you I did a lot of you know steaming and inhalation and I was up early this morning doing the same thing to try to unblock uh, it and uh, somebody had sent in a suggestion yesterday about using a mixture of salt and boiling water and uh, Obviously, not boiling, putting it up your nose, but... uh to and I hadn't done it before it's like a saline solution and found that really good as well and the good old steaming with Albus oil remember the old fashioned remedy for it and it's great because it is when you get a blocked nose it's just the most annoying thing under the sun and it certainly makes you sound worse than you're actually feeling but thank you Sheila that's how I wasn't a miracle just a lot of steam inhalations and I'll be going after the programme doing a lot more of it uh, to try to get rid of it now somebody says uh, Tricia, Colas Limited, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, they're the French company that have completed the project of resurfacing the runway at Cork Airport. They've done it on schedule. It's reopening next Monday. Certainly unexpected, but fair play to the team. It's a rare occurrence these days. Work that started two years ago on Mallow Bridge, it's still not completed. One wonders, will it ever be operational again? Yeah, Yeah, just on Mallow Bridge, the last time we checked in with... Cork County Council, that it was due to be completed about, was it November of this year or was it November of last year? It was meant to be completed. Anyway, they're well over. They're well over the the time that it was due to be completed. We were told it was a combination of factors. We were told obviously the pandemic and work stopped because of the of the uh, pandemic. And then when we checked in again, there was a problem with steel that they need for the actual structure of the boardwalk that's going to be put on the side of Mallow Bridge. Do you remember the Evergreen? Remember that big ship that got stuck in the Suez Canal? It turned out some of the steel for the Mallow Bridge was actually either on that particular ship or on one of the other ships that was stuck behind that when the Suez Canal. Grind it to a halt. So yeah, there was a whole host of problems, but I don't have, I don't have, I certainly don't have a date for you on when it's going to reopen. But you are right about saying well done to the contractors who've been working at uh, Cork Airport, and it certainly is great news for everybody here in Cork. I think everybody here in in the south that Cork Airport is due to reopen next Monday morning. 7.45am, the first passenger jet will take off from the airport and that will be the first time since early September, wasn't it, when it uh, closed? Uh, the airport of this morning confirmed that Lingus flight EI712 will leave Cork for Heathrow next Monday morning and then the number of flights will increase over the rest of the week as Cork Airport quickly moves uh, back to being full operational Status. So, and it's the first major work on the main runway. And that runway dates back to the early 60s, and they've now lengthened it. And it was lengthened and resurfaced in 1999, but it's the first major job that's been done uh, since. Uh, them And of course, we're hearing of a lot of extra flights and extra routes. We'll be leaving from Cork. I mean, the winter routes now out of Cork, you'll be able to fly to Alicante, Birmingham, Edinburgh, Gdansk, Lanzarote, London, Gatwick, Liverpool, London, Luton, Stansted, Malaga. Ponson, that's in Poland and you'll also be able to go to Tenerife and obviously then in the summer months Ryanair are bringing on a lot of new uh, flights uh, including uh, Alicante, Birmingham, Bordeaux, they'll be flying to Faro, they'll be flying to Gran Canaria, they'll continue with the Lanzarote flights, Malaga, Mallorca, Milan. And uh, Tenerife, to name but a, a few. But the airport back first flight next Monday morning, and God bless all who fly through her. And it's it's fantastic to have our airport back up and uh, running, and uh, kind of at the right time as people are starting now to do international travel again. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. Patricia, you were talking about insurance. Insurance companies, I feel, have been robbing us blind. Look at the profits. We did discuss the profits yesterday, John, on uh, the programme. I feel, says John, that Michael McGrath forgot about car insurance when he got promoted into a bigger job in government. Why were we not refunded more last year? A 30 euro voucher was a joke. The insurance companies will charge you €60. Euro, that's if you want to change the car on your po- your policy. And that is rather expensive, says John. And what I only discovered yesterday when I was talking with the Consumer Affairs Association, I got one of th- those €30 Euro all-for-one vouchers. Two of them came into the house because Hubby had won uh, as well. And we got it. Sure, at the time, we were delighted to get our all-for-one uh, vouchers. But what I only discovered yesterday... But I was speaking with the Consumer Association and I found out via Ken Tobin on The Breakfast Show, whatever insurance car insurance company he was with, they didn't give any vouchers. He didn't get any sort of a refund. And then another listener contacted us to say her insurance company also sent out one of those all for one vouchers and hers never worked. Yeah, so it was. It when you look at the profits that they made, it is a bitter pill to swallow for sure. And just also while we're talking about airplanes, let me go back to airplanes for a moment because Mary and Lepp was on to John Paul earlier to say that they woke, they 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 were awoken rather than they woke up at two a.m. and with uh, the noise of a massive plane flying overhead in Lepp in West Cork. The plane was so large and flying so low that it even woke up the baby. Uh, She says, uh, now, it was not very low, but it was lower than usual, and it was the noise of it that's how they knew it was lower than usual she is adamant that it wasn't emergency services John Paul checked on flight radar to see what plane could possibly be flying overhead and the only one registered on the flight radar for that time was a DHL courier flight so it possibly could have been that and they're huge huge big uh, planes and I don't know was there fog or something in the area that it had to go lower than normal because those courier flights would be flying all the time every single night you would be expecting to hear them if they were all always flying at the same altitude. For some reason, yesterday it was flying at a lower uh, altitude. Broadband, which we discussed in the last hour, says if Sky can get a picture onto a TV in an area of dense forestry. Why can't broadband be the same? That's in from Pat O'Hara. Thank you for that, Pat. Hi, Patricia. Travelled to the UK and Amsterdam in the past two weeks for work reasons. I was not asked for the COVID cert en route home in any airport. I walked straight through Dublin Airport. Now, I'm wondering is that because when we checked in when the COVID certs first came in and people were saying that I landed uh, when Cork was open at the time Shannon Airport Dublin Airport and nobody checked and when we checked in we, when we went to try to find out about it we were told because people's COVID certs were checked when they got onto the plane there was no need to check them when they got off the plane because obviously for many of the airlines were insisting that unless you had a COVID cert you couldn't get onto the plane so therefore when you land they know everybody on that plane has a COVID cert so I don't know if that was the case or not when you got on whatever whatever plane whatever airport you came through in the UK or in Amsterdam was your covid search checked then if so There was no need for it to be doubly checked when you landed in Dublin. And Michael says, hi Patricia, what a shocking figure any day of the year to hear that 7% of the unvaccinated against COVID in this country are taking up 48% of the hospital spaces and they're taking up 52% of the ICU beds. It's easy to work that one out. We had 634 people in hospital with COVID and 120 in an ICU bed. It speaks for itself. Are those unvaccinated people living in the real world and that's from Michael 1850 333 103 John Paul's taking your calls you can text or whatsapp to 0862 103 103 C103 jobs A butcher is required to work 2 to 3 days per week that's in the McCroom area your contact is Kieran on 087 2213944 A teleporter driver is wanted for a construction site that's in the north side of Cork city CVs to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. Drivers and helpers are wanted for refuge collection in the Mallow area Contact Brian at 086 382 1530 or you can email brian at countryclean.ie And a machine operator slash general operative is wanted for Allied Profiles They're based in Quartertown in Mallow You can email your CVs to info at alliedprofiles.com And that's how the job link looks for today. You can check out more details and find more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. And remember, stay tuned to C103 because we are giving you the next big way to win. We've got your Christmas covered. You'll get all the details next Monday morning at 8. 15 with Ken on breakfast only on C103. Court today
0: on C103.
3: With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie.
2: Close to one in eight children has physically met someone not known in real life, but who they only encountered online. It's according to a new report from the National Advisory Council for Online Safety to discuss this issue further. I'm joined by Professor Brian O'Neill, who was involved in the creation of this report. Good morning to you, Brian. Good
6: morning, Professor uh, Good to talk to you.
2: Well, great to talk to you as well. Now, this will really frighten parents because I take it the majority of those parents were unaware that their children are meeting up with total strangers.
6: Yes, uh, that is one of the things that is highlighted in the report, that there's often you know, quite a gap between children's experiences and what they're doing online. And uh, what parents uh, are aware of now, in relation to the specific uh, issue uh, of uh, a, a young people going on to meet people that they first uh, met online, uh, we do know, need to know more about the context uh, and as we point out in the report, uh, to some extent, uh, you know, some of these you know, can be uh, innocent or even, uh, perfectly legitimate, but there's always the potential uh, for some uh, something that uh, is uh, not uh, so, and uh, you know that 's where there's there's certainly a call to action for parents to be vigilant. Yeah,
2: I mean I think that's the big danger it could be a teenager meeting another teenager for example but you never know who is behind the other screen pretending to be another teenager.
6: Exactly, exactly. And I think, you know, that's where, uh, you know, certainly where we can see where we asked uh, parents about the same things and uh, we asked uh, about their concerns. And that was one of them, uh, that uh, parents were, you know, yes, uh, about potential contacts. Uh, And uh, equally, we also hear from young people that, uh, you know, they are uh, frequently concerned about uh, communication, you know, contact uh, that comes out of nowhere, a friend request or something like that. And that's something uh, to be alert to. Uh, So the fact that we're finding these experiences uh, means that uh, you know, they're becoming increasingly um, uh, prevalent in children's experience. Uh, uh, parents uh, do need uh, to be alert to it and to find out a little bit more and certainly to have a good conversation uh, with their children uh, about uh, such dangers or potential risks yeah, on- but good, online.
2: Good to know that some children identified the danger in it and realising that this could be a
6: danger. In they, indeed, and uh, uh, many uh, of the children rep- report uh, that they have good communication with their parents and also that they get online safety education in schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, schools are an important source of this uh, because uh, it's very much uh, part of uh, young people's day-to-day lives and teachers are becoming uh, more involved uh, in it and there are you know, good programs uh, for that. Uh, but I think uh, what this report is showing uh, is underlining the point uh, that there's almost more uh, and uh, the kinds of risks uh, that continue to emerge with changing platforms uh, changing ways in which young people communicate online uh, that they need to you know constantly revisit this and uh, ensure that uh, that uh, you know, safety is paramount
2: okay so let's talk about uh, social media there's a minimum age of 13 for most social media sites. for most
6: For most platforms, there is a minimum age uh, requirement, and 13 uh, uh, applies uh, in most contexts. This can, in fact, be an area of some confusion uh, for young people and for parents and adults uh, as well. Uh, But for the most part, the most popular platforms uh, will have this minimum age. And uh, as you can see from our report, we find that large numbers below the age of 13 are active on social media, and that is a, a matter of concern.
2: And are the social media sites doing anything about the age verification issue?
6: Well, they're, uh, they, they say they are, uh, but clearly it's not enough, you know, because uh, the evidence uh, that uh, we can see in the report is that uh, uh, a quarter of 9 to 10-year-olds uh, report being active on social media and uh, uh, rising to just under half of uh, 11 to 12-year-olds. And I think anecdotally uh, we'll find that uh, you know, children in the upper classes in primary school, uh, it's very much part of the conversation and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, again, we had young people, uh, you know, again, at the age uh, range um, uh, using Snapchat and TikTok uh, which are obviously very popular with young people and have a very clear uh, age restriction. Uh, So something's not working there, that is true.
2: certainly needs to be looked at and of course more and more uh, children even younger ones now own their own smartphones. There'll also be discussions around Christmas presents and people getting a new smartphone or a tablet but that's that's giving them access to
6: the World Wide Web. It is, it is, uh, and uh, you know this is uh, this is a tricky and uh, dilemma uh, I think uh, for many parents because uh, of course peer pressure uh, plays a role here, and uh, you know if uh, one's pals uh, you know have uh, some uh, uh, level of access, all the children will want to know why can't they, and the pressure certainly builds, and that's what we found again. You know that, uh, you know from nine to twelve years, uh, you know large numbers are using their own devices, so that you know. Forty percent of nine to ten year olds uh, have their own uh, uh, smartphone and uh, uh, use it daily. That is a very That's high huge. number uh, so it is uh, something to uh, to be considered um, there's nothing it, it, it is uh, of course uh, a parental choice uh, but uh, it does uh, call for some vigilance and in terms of you know the growing uh, use of different kinds of social media platforms, it may be that uh, you know children uh, you, of course uh, use tablets and gaming ca- uh, consoles from a very early age and uh, you know they're fully immersed in the digital environment uh, but the extent to which uh, they have their own independent and private access you know that's a matter uh, to be considered a bit more carefully.
2: Yeah and that's where the conversation between parents and children and parents taking responsibility of what their children are accessing on their smartphone.
6: I think so, I think so, and I think you know that's where uh, you know, parents uh, you know often you know it is, it's a challenge uh, you know because there's a lot of responsibility placed on the individuals uh, you know, to uh, to make these choices, and sometimes they're difficult ones uh, because uh, there's a feeling that there should be more uh, regulation around uh, what uh, children are being exposed to, and that of course you know is very much you know it's in the policy domain at the moment around uh, what uh, restrictions uh, should apply uh, but uh, you know what we're pointing to here is uh, to try to provide parents with information, uh, and uh, many parents uh, would greatly value more information from schools. Um, uh, you know, from uh, uh, public agencies, uh, you know, from uh, the, the relevant agencies or indeed the companies themselves about safe use of their uh, resor- uh, sources or, or their platforms. And that's where uh, I think our advice to, uh, to parents is to you know, make sure you're getting good, trusted sources of information from the school um, and uh, you know, organizations such as webwise.ie, uh, which is part of uh, the, the Irish Safer Internet Centre and can be a very valuable source.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And then the children that you spoke to, did they admit it admit that they see disturbing images or inappropriate videos while they were online?
6: Yes. Yes, and that uh, I think is you know one of uh, you know the the, the disturbing aspects you know one of the findings uh, you know, that we should be particularly concerned about uh, because really exposure particularly at a young age uh, to content uh, that is uh, you know, very specifically not uh, 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 positive uh, for young people's experience Explo- being exposed to harmful content, to you know, ongoing hate messages, uh, uh, very disturbing violent images, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. These are common, uh, and you know a quarter of young people said uh, that, that uh, they had seen one of the types of harmful content uh, that we mentioned, and that 's why I think you know harmful online content um is one of the specific categories uh, that's highlighted uh, in uh, the government's um, uh, draft legislation on online safety and why it has attracted such attention Uh, because really, you know, that's a threshold that is just not acceptable and there should be better controls.
2: Did the issue of bullying come up?
6: Yes, Yes, uh, bullying, of course, you know, is uh, something that uh, persistently uh, uh, impacts on young people and get be- they get very distressed by it. Uh, we found uh, that particularly for younger teens, and this is where I suppose social media use really does come uh, uh, into its own, 13 to 14 olds, you know, who are, you know, have every entitlement uh, 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 and uh, fully enjoy uh, uh, going online with their friends and whatnot but it's also that age group where there is a lot of persistent bullying and it can take lots of different forms uh, you know harmful uh, nasty things being said uh, either directly to uh, a young person or things said about them or you know the kind of you know peer behaviour that uh, you know, sometimes just isn't pleasant and it's amplified uh, on a social platform and that's, uh, uh, that's something that uh, you know, has very uh, uh, you know challenging uh, implications uh, for children. Schools are often having to try to deal with situations that get out of control and uh, you know, children themselves talking about this really want uh, better controls and uh, better measures. That The platform itself should not be contributing to that and uh, that uh, there has to be a better control so that something doesn't escalate. It is behavioural, you know so you need uh, behaviour change uh, but you also need uh, rules to be uh, very clearly laid out and uh, complied with
2: When when the bullying takes place online there's no getting away from it for that child, they bring it home with them it's in their bedroom, it's with them 24-7
6: it is, it is. And that's this kind of amplification effect and, you know, where uh, you feel like, you know, the, you know, unfortunately, uh, uh, bullying is uh, one of those kinds of ex- uh, uh, prevalent experiences out there. And uh, I think uh, everybody is concerned about it. Uh, you know, face-to-face bullying um, uh, and an environment uh, that, that, you know, can be potentially hostile or, uh, or negative for young people. Uh, but when it gets online, uh, it's the fact uh, that uh, you can be accessed and there 's no escape from it, yeah. uh, and I think that's well documented uh, that uh, you know, it, is, uh, it has a serious uh, impact on you know, children 's development uh, their their mental health their well being uh, and you know can have very serious consequences uh, so it is good to see that there's lots of very positive measures being taken and uh, you know when we talk about uh, children 's uh, online safety experience, it is one of the topics that comes to fo- uh, to the fore, and rightly so uh, because it's the one thing uh, that uh, would make children feel happier and uh, uh, more positive uh, about their online experience. Yeah, and nobody I, wants, I, the, you
2: know, the country. And I think because of the pandemic and lockdowns and all of that, all of our online usage increased, uh, especially and including uh, for 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 children. So you know, we need to do everything we can to keep them safe. How Indeed. close are we to legislation that legislation governing online safety?
6: Well, uh, the minister spoke at uh, the launch of, uh, of the report and the Minister indeed uh, chairs our uh, the National Advisory Council for Online Safety uh, so she's uh, uh, it has finished uh, its pre-legislative scrutiny and uh, we understand uh, that uh, she hopes to bring it to the daub uh, even before Christmas. Uh, it is imminent and a lot of work has gone into the Online Safety Bill uh, so I think you know, we can see that uh, you know, there is you know, quite concerted action being taken at this, at this stage and we should see
2: soon. Okay, great report Uh, well done to all involved uh, Brian and thank you uh, for taking time out to uh, talk to us on the programme today.
6: Thanks very much, Hi. Patricia. Good to talk to
2: Good you. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Professor Brian O'Neill, who was part of uh, the author of that report from the National Advisory Council for Online uh, Safety, just showing how many children are accessing online and particularly younger children. Like one, one of our listeners saying, isn't it terrible to think that 11-year-olds are on Facebook? And Facebook, as indeed the majority of the other social media accounts say, you must be at least 13. But it's very easy to put in you <laughs> what age are you and the children are smart enough to know that if they're going to put in an age that makes them 11 all they have to do is bump it up by a couple of years change the year that they were born uh, drop it down by a couple of years and suddenly hey presto they have got a social media account Anne says Patricia just block a person there is a block button on all of the social media accounts there's no need to put up with bullying says Anne how right you are but that's easier said than done but when you are a child who is faced with that kind of Bullying uh, when it's in a WhatsApp group or it's other children in your class—it's very hard to just block everybody because you want to be part of the gang. You want to be one of the cool kids, uh, almost. It's it's very very difficult. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. Does anybody know? I know we've heard there's announcement about Garth Brook concerts for Croke Park. Much excitement amongst Garth Brook fans. Somebody wants to know. Does anybody know how much are the tickets for Garth Brooks in? Dublin? Dublin next year. I saw the announcement that the uh Garbux have announced concerts in Croke Park for the 9th and 10th of September next year. Tickets are going on sale on Thursday. Aiken Promotion says the Croke Park shows will be the only European dates that the country star will play in next year. Tickets go on sale Thursday, the 25th of November, so this day week at 8 o'clock from the usual outlets and it's und- and and of course reminding us of what happened in 2014, we don't need to be reminded of that. Okay so they, what I'm seeing in front of me uh, is just saying tickets are on sale from next Thursday at 8am Does anybody know, has anybody already tried to investigate tickets to Garth Brooks if so, do you know how much the tickets are going to be? 1850 333 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text our or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103.
0: Court today on C103.
3: With John Cusack Insurance's Consale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. I'm
2: going to Band the Station for this week's Guard the Fire, where I'm joined by Sergeant Connor McCarthy. Good morning to you, Connor. Good morning Patricia. And, How are you doing? I'm very well thank you and you're welcome to the programme. You want to start with Guardian Kinsale investigating a number of burglaries.
7: Yes Patricia, um, just in the recent past the 15th, nine no, to the 15th and into the 16th there was a number of burglaries in the, um, in the Kinsale area and there was some items taken including cash um, and I suppose the Gardaí are seeking information in relation to anything People may have observed which was out of the ordinary or may be suspicious and they can contact and say on 021-477-2302.
2: Yeah, and of course, trying to tell people not to have cash around the house. Sometimes you have to have cash, but it's to try not to have.
7: That's right, Patricia. Uh, This time of year, especially, uh, burglaries in wintertime increased by almost 25%. I suppose it's very important people take the uh, measures necessary. Um, I suppose there's a few top tips there in relation to secure all doors and windows, uh, light up your home, uh, use timer switches when out, uh, store keys safely and uh, away from windows and letterboxes, just to keep temptation away from uh, possible burglars. And and I suppose also it's obvious the benefit is when we're investigating these, if they record details of the valuables and uh, and uh, so that we have uh, numbers or IDs anyway of ID- identifying objects that may have been stolen. And,
2: and we all got- we all have cameras now on our phones, so it's it's easy just to snap a quick photograph, isn't it, of any like a valuable piece of jewellery, for example.
7: Uh, absolutely, um, and put a buyer over side it for scale or a ruler, and yeah. uh, you would always have a record of it. And I suppose emailing the pictures to yourself will actually one, retain yeah. it you yeah. know, as well. So, uh, simple steps that may prevent um, prevent burglaries occurring. Uh, and as always, just if you if you are um, if you are heading out, have lights on, and, and at night time, as I say, because of the the stark increase in numbers of burglaries that occurred at that time, it's, it's important. Neighbours are vigilant as well.
2: And I know it sounds like an obvious one, but if you've gone to the bother of installing an alarm, make sure that it's on.
7: That's right. I suppose we all have busy lives and people are rushing from A to B to C. So it's important that we just think of the, the simple steps uh, before we leave our house. And there is always valuable items there. So it's important we take the time to ensure they're secure.
2: And then I on know only last, we were talking with Sergeant John Kelly about it, the bogus uh, tradespeople who are doing the rounds. And they have a tendency, unfortunately, to target older, more vulnerable people for, uh, for all of us to keep an eye, an eye out for unusual activity, unusual cars in the area.
7: That's it, uh, Patricia. It's just simple things, something that you might believe to be innocuous enough, maybe, but it might be something that's uh, out of the ordinary, that you haven't seen before—a car or a person or anything. Don't hesitate to give us a shout in the in the station there. We're more than happy to call and and check things out and look if if it is all above board, well and good, but. It's unfortunate to be thinking afterwards what if I had or you know, Mm. it's important to just take the initiative and contact us if you feel any concern.
2: Okay and before we continue with more crime prevention advice, you want to put a shout out in case anybody spotted something damaged to a car in LEP
7: That's right Gardaí and Kilty are investigating uh, damage caused to a car on the 14th of November Again, Gardaí are just um, hoping people passers-by may have, may have observed, observed something or seen someone uh, acting suspiciously in the area and if they have any information they'd be greatly received at the Guard Garda Station on 023 88 215
2: okay. and we are coming up to Black Friday when there'll be a huge amount of online shopping done I know you want to give us uh, some advice about online shopping but before we get to that fraud f- online fraud Still very pre- pre- prevalent.
7: Yeah, online online fraud is um, very prevalent at the moment. Whether it be by phone or or on an online computer, and um, it's it very much people have to be aware that um, there is people out there that will take advantage. And especially this time of year, as people prepare for Christmas and, and purchasing goods, um, it's important that they take the time to make sure that the the site that they're using is secure. Do a bit of research into it, um, ensure that the brands and shops are familiar to them, and to just in check to, to ensure the website is genuine.
2: Okay, and fraudsmart.ie is a good point of contact.
7: That's right Patricia that's a, that's a tool that's available to anyone online if they if they log on it's it, it's their part of the Banking and Payments Federation Ireland has set it up and um, there's loads of valuable information there The um, per people are entitled, can um, they, when they're shopping they'll give them advice on how what to look for such as uh, when you on the top line and the on the of the http you will see HTTPS win before purchase is made. And um, I suppose a very important one would be do not to use unsecured public Wi-Fi networks or hotspots to make a card purchase or access your online bank account. Use the 3G or 4G internet c- c- connection instead. Um, and another one would be looking for a padlock. Click on the security icon, the padlock or unbroken key symbols to ensure that the retailer has an encryption certificate this, the link should describe the type of security and encryption being used um, These are some of the measures that may be uh, of assistance to the uh, people buying items on night.
2: Yeah and just be careful when you're giving card uh, details of course the best advice of all is to shop local but we appreciate that some people will of course and you can't get everything locally and the people need to go online but you just need to really really protect, protect yourself and then with Shopping online, there's the whole delivery side of it. Make arrangements for the collection of deliveries.
7: Yeah, you're very correct there, Patricia, in what you're saying. It's to make arrangements for the collection of deliveries. If you're, if you're not going to be there, You might be you no know, harm to ask a neighbour to collect it for you. Or failing that, you will use a reliable service um, uh, so, which can store your parcels on um, um, Positive parcel locker, and parcel motel is another one. And remember, to dispose of packaging afterwards, which is something that we all should be mindful of, uh, so not to inform opportunist criminals of the valuable items inside your, your home. So to take, cut out your name off of packaging and address these in detail, it's no harm to do that.
2: I would never have thought of that, but yeah, it certainly makes sense because a lot of detail can be, t- can be contained in the packaging of what you've actually purchased.
7: That's true, and uh, I suppose the the opportunist criminal is always looking for a, a, an angle or an opportunity, and they will they will not, they will not miss out on a streak. Unfortunately, yeah, which makes our yeah. lives a bit more difficult.
2: Yeah and be careful of having a package some of the couriers are so busy at the moment and if there's nobody in they're leaving it on a doorstep and we know we've seen packages been stolen from the doorstep so you need to be mindful and uh, be careful of that and if you do become a victim of fraud Connor, some people get very embarrassed about it there's no need for embarrassment contact your Gardaí
7: No Absolutely, it's very important that we we have uh, the information comes into us about the type of crimes that are occurring, and no matter how you feel, we're here to help and assist. We, we may be able to track it down. There may have been other occurrences in the area, and that may may we may have solved some crimes already, and that information could feed into our investigation, which will help us catch the culprit. Or we may already have returned, obtained the, the um, goods that were taken. And would have looking for an owner, so it's important that the people do report it, um, uh, so that we have an accurate record of what is occurring in our area.
2: Okay, and we are very much into the dark evenings. Winter is upon us, even though it's gorgeous and mild, and long may that uh, last. But keeping an eye, Connor, on our elderly neighbours.
7: Absolutely, um, in in this trying time, I suppose the elderly are, are even more isolated they would have been ordinarily so it's important to be called to the neighbours where we can whether that be just calling to the door or by phone the smallest contact would be very beneficial to them and I've no doubt is appreciated and they may help, need help with some tasks in the house or collecting groceries or, or uh, delivering to the house so it's important that neighbours help them um, as best they can.
2: OK. All right, listen, we leave it there. Thank you for that, uh, Connor. Stay safe and thanks for joining us. Thanks very much, Patricia. Good morning okay. to you. Bye-bye. That is Sergeant Connor McCarthy, who is from Bandon at Garda station. And somebody has just... Michael, thank you for this. Is just, this is, has sent me in. This is a breaking news story to do with the European courts uh, rejecting a challenge to the word... Almighty God that we have in our presidential oath. Uh, And I was unaware of this. It seems a group of Irish politicians had gone to the European Court of Human Rights. Now they failed, by the way, in their attempt to challenge the wording of the presidential oath in Ireland. In the presidential oath, it currently requires the person who gets elected as president of of this country to swear to. Almighty God. The Constitution states that the President and the members of the Council of State, when entering office, must make a declaration in the presence of Almighty God. That's the actual wording. And they promise then to fulfil their duties and to maintain the Constitution. But the challenge was taken to try to have that removed. And the challenge was taken by TDs Roisin Shortall and John Brady, Senator David Norris, former CEO of Barnardo's Fergus Finlay, and Trinity College Dublin Chancellor David McConnell. The applicants claimed the declarations required by Articles 12.8 and 31.4 of the Irish Constitution excludes conscientious non-Christians, non-believers and those who do not wish to violate their consciences, both from the Office of President and from members of the Council of uh, State. So they went to the European Court of uh, Human Rights and a seven panel of judges delivered their verdict this morning in the case and said that the challenge could not succeed as none of the applicants could show evidence that they were directly impacted by the uh, oath. Well, in a statement following the verdict, Roisin Shortall said that the state's defence of mandatory religious oaths in the Constitution is both surprising and deeply disappointing. The Social Democrats leader said she will now bring forward a bill to the Oireachtas to propose a referendum to remove the provision. In a modern republic, she says, it is an that. We shouldn't be having the election of the highest political officers in the land. The President is required to swear an an oath to Almighty God. Okay, that's just some breaking news. Thank you to Michael for bringing that to our attention. Uh, And and, uh, his caption while sending it on to me is, what next?
3: You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
2: Yesterday, there was a couple of listeners were asking about weddings with regards to the new restrictions that were coming in. There was one listener in particular is going to a wedding on Saturday and is wondering, will the new restrictions in any way affect weddings? And we said we would check it out and find out more about it. Well, I can tell you that the Department of Tourism have now confirmed that hotel bars will have to shut at midnight as and from tonight, along with all of the other licensed premises. They'll have a close off at midnight, and it includes the residence bar, which I think a number of people were thinking if you 're staying in a hotel and you 're going to a wedding, if the bar closes at the wedding, should everyone can go to the residence bar, no, 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 that is not going to happen. All of the residence bars in all of the hotels all over the country must now close at midnight from tonight. And that will be every night until those restrictions are uh, removed with all customers off the premises by that time. So obviously residents back up to their rooms and it includes weddings, uh, even if you're a resident of the hotel or not. OK, so that's definite clarification on that one all hotel bars including the residence lounges and bars will have to close from late night the same as all licensed premises and to the listener who is obviously a Garth Brooks fan and was asking could we find out how much of the Garth Brooks tickets which are going on sale this day week next uh, Thursday we got on to Aiken promotion and they got back to us very quickly thank you to everybody at Aiken for this Uh, the seated tickets will be 81 euro and the standing tickets at Croke Park will be 65 euro and 45 euro and by the way just to let you know those prices of 81 euro for the seated and 65 euro 45 for the standing are the exact same price that the tickets would have been in 2014. Isn't that? Isn't that I don't know if that's deliberately been done or not, but that's uh, terrific uh, to hear. And the seated tickets at 81 euro, no matter where you're seating Now, obviously, excluding VIP packages, but wherever you're sitting in Crow Park, they're having one, one seated price of 81 euro so 81 euro for the seat at 65 euro 45 for the standing they go on sale next Thursday uh, with the concerts not on until next year but i imagining I, I'm imagining that they will become part of a lot of people's Christmas presents this year we were talking about all for one vouchers which again are popular people like to give vouchers instead of, particularly for the person who's got everything and you can't think of something to give a voucher is always a nice prize and we were talking about the all for one vouchers with regard to the insurance companies some of the car insurance companies last year kind of by way of a rebate sent out all for one vouchers and I certainly got one of them they were 30 euro all for one voucher Well, John was on to us saying I got one of those vouchers as well uh, But I haven't spent it because I've no idea who takes them. Now, listen, if I was to start going through the amount of places that take all for one vouchers, what I would suggest you do is, John, if you have access to the Internet, hopefully you have good broadband. If you Google all for one vouchers and go on to the retail where you can spend, there is just endless lists. It runs into hundreds, certainly where I spent mine, because as soon as I got it, I just wanted to get rid of it. And I spent mine in doing a super, doing a food shop on that weekend inside. In it was Tesco. Tesco would take them. Don't know. I'm not saying that all supermarkets take them, but certainly Tesco take the all for one vouchers. So you could check in with the local supermarket as well. But there's a huge array of places that take the all for one vouchers. And Michael is in North Cork, and says Patricia enjoy your programme. Thank you for that. Uh, where could I get photographs developed in the North Cork area? I have a disposable camera and I don't know who who is developing photographs. God, once upon a time I used to go into every single chemist you could hand in your photographs for development but so few of us now are getting photographs developed. Now I don't know what part of North Cork you're in uh, from your text, uh, Michael but I do know there's a Fuji shop in Mallow it's at the, at the lower end of Mallow on Main Street in Mallow, where Bones Dry Cleaners is. It's part of Bones uh, Dry Cleaners. So, certainly, that's one shop that I know. A number of, I don't know if any chemist is still developing photographs. Some of the larger chemists you can go in, say with your phone and download the pictures but Michael is in a a different situation when you have a disposable camera and I'm wondering Michael, how long do you have the disposable camera and what photographs are actually on it? It certainly is well worth getting developed because there's nothing like sitting down and going through old photographs but to find an old disposable camera that's been used, to one what's on it could be a great bit of fun indeed and one wonders in years to come are we missing out on that you know it's a kind of a tradition at Christmas if you've if you've all the family around and the box of old photographs come out we don't do that anymore because we don't print our photographs which is a real real shame I think we should get back into that habit of printing off the photographs and do you remember the old photograph albums where you'd stick where the, the pictures would be stuck in you'd put them in and you'd put the cellophane down over it and And should they be bad? The covers of them will be battered to death from people spending hours going through them and then they would be put away and they mightn't come out for another good few months. But certainly on Christmas time, always a great time to take the old tin box of uh, photographs. And there's something magical about looking back at old photographs. And even you you can see it on a lot of social media sites. A lot of Facebook accounts in particular are set up, you know, to do with such and such a time in the old times or, and uh, you'll have somebody uh, doing admin coming up with old photographs and putting it up and the amount of comments you'll get from people saying oh your mother looks great in that photograph or I remember that photograph from 30 years ago whatever it was and it would be a real shame if we lose all of those memories just because we're not printing our photo- photographs so uh, good luck with getting that disposable camera uh, Michael and if anybody else has suggestions on where Michael can bring in his disposable camera as I say he, he just says North Cork Certainly Bones dry cleaners on the lower end of Mallow has their Fuji shop as part of right next to the dry cleaners and they certainly you should be able to hand in a disposable camera there. Don't know where else. Anybody else know where you hand in disposable cameras to be developed? 1850 And I'm really looking for your thoughts on this when I mentioned Facebook. I spotted this on Facebook a couple of days ago and it was put up by Middleton Funeral Services and I suppose it could have really been put up by any undertaker, really, because I'm assuming every undertaker would agree with the sentiments in this. But I'm interested in your thoughts, uh, please. And it says, could I ask everyone for some help at this very difficult time? And the post is entitled, Paying Our Respects. If you see a hearse, could you stop? Stand for a moment as it passes. Perhaps take off your cap and bow your head. We wondered if we could revive an old tradition that would show people that their loss is noticed and it's shared by us all. It would mean the world to families in a time of great sadness. So please, if you see a hearse at a junction, please stop and allow some of the following cars to also exit the junction. In most cases, the cars that are following directly behind the hearse contain the family of the loved one who has been buried it only makes your journey slightly longer but it will mean the world to families in such a difficult time thanking you and it was signed by Middleton's Funeral Services and it says our family caring for your family and that post really resonated with me when I read it at the weekend because it brought me back to Certainly when I was a child growing up, it was something that was instilled in all of us by our mother. If you were walking, we used to go uptown in Clamel for others, they used to go downtown. But when you were walking uptown and if you saw a hearse, you would stop just before it came to pass you. And exactly as I said in that post, you'd bow your head and you would see. And I don't know how many men are still wearing hats uh, today or a little flat cap, but the men would take off would take off their hat but you would just bow your head and probably bless yourself as the hearse went by and you'd stand there for the couple of seconds it takes while the main cars with the chief mourners would you have your head bowed and would go past and it does give a little bit of comfort to the people inside in the cars just to show that people are being respectful and I certainly remember an era and I don't know if this still happens or not if a hearse was going down through a main... Main Street. Shops, I won't say would dim their lights because I don't know if many of them would have been on dimmer switches at the time, but would switch off their lights as a mark of respect to the family. And again, for the shops, it would only take... They'd only be off for a couple of seconds, maybe 15, 20 seconds as the hearse and the cars passed. I don't know if that's a tradition that's that's gone. But, you know, with smaller funerals that we're having now, it is a nice way for... It is an, an old tradition, but it's an old tradition that certainly we could all do with with reviving and certainly at a junction. I know when I drive home, now I haven't passed a funeral in quite some time, but when I leave the radio station and when I'm heading back in to town to go home there's a funeral there's a a cemetery that I have to pass and countless times I would have over the years I would see a funeral a horse coming in the distance and I would always put on my indicator pull in you know put on my hazards and just wait for the horse and the couple of cars to pass now I've nearly been blown off the road for doing it over the years but it's something I, I continue to do but I think Middleton Funeral Services are right to post that up on their Facebook page because it's particularly difficult at the moment with everything that's going on for families. And if it's just if you're at a junction just to hold back and let the other cars uh, out you know as it says it'll, it'll, as the post said it'll only make your journey a little bit longer but to the families it will really mean a lot so well done to everybody involved in Middleton Funeral Services as I say I spotted that on Facebook and I am sure that every other undertaker the length and breadth of the country would agree with it it's an old tradition but maybe it's an old tradition that we need to revive sometimes the old traditions were really the best traditions some of them our best left in the past but there's some of them we really could do with reviving 1850 333103 your thoughts welcomed you can text or whatsapp to 0862 103 or
0: 103 The C103 Cork Diary
3: With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing community and business supports all across the county see corkcoco.ie.
2: Mitchellstown Credit Union they're hosting the launch of Terror from the Theatre. It's by Frank Keating and it's happening tomorrow Friday at 7pm. While Bingo is on this Friday night in Mallow GAA Complex, they've got an 8.15 start. Covid certs are required for entry. There's also a drive-in Bingo going on in the Creamery Yard in Kildallery tomorrow night and that's at 8 o'clock. And please remember that Knocknagree Penny Dinners collection is being held this coming Saturday between 10 a.m. and 12 p.m. It'll be in the community centre in Knocknagree. They are looking for cash, perishable food items, but they're also looking for homegate baking, new toys. If you'd like to donate new toys for children this Christmas, and they would love to see home baked Christmas cakes as well. If please ask to support an adult social dancing. In Fremont Hall will take place this coming Sunday, the 21st of November. Now, dancing will be in the afternoon between three and six. To duo checkers, the event will co- cover all of the current COVID restrictions, and vaccination certs are required for entry. No children are permitted, and no light refreshments will be provided. And the cost of entry is ten euro. With proceeds going to the upkeep of Fremont Hall.
0: Court today on C103
3: with Sean Cusack Insurance's kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance.
2: CMIG.ie. This is the. Record
0: today replay on C103.
2: And somebody was asking about the booster dose for COVID 19. And do you need to get a booster dose if you've had COVID 19? Uh, And I've just checked if you've had COVID 19 since you were vaccinated, and God knows many people have, you should get your booster dose six months after your positive test result not six months after your vaccination. So you work out when you got COVID-19 and it's six months after your positive test result that you would be due a booster. 18.50, 103 John Paul taking your calls. Now at the halftime in last weekend's Rugby International between Ireland and New Zealand, a special tribute song to Munster and Irish legend Anthony Foley was launched. The song... Alone You Stand was written and performed by Hermitage Green singer Barry Murphy and proceeds from the sale of the song are being donated to the Orlers It's that time
0: of the year Your vacation is coming up You can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work
3: slash
2: Wild Ways, which is a charity that was set up by Anthony's sister, Orla Foley, who I'm delighted to say joins me today. Good afternoon to you, Orla. Good morning. Good
5: afternoon, Patricia.
2: How yeah, are you? I'm Thanks ver- for having me. Well, listen, you are, you are very, you're so, so welcome. And Camille, what a gorgeous song. Do you think Anthony would approve?
5: I think he would give it a big thumbs up. (laughs) Barry did a really great job. It's amazing. It's a lovely tribute.
2: And uh, there's a lovely story as to how this song came about. It was a little bit of nagging, I suppose, on your behalf. A
5: little bit of nagging. Um, Poor Anthony wasn't even cold when I was asking Barry when he called to the house after we heard the very tragic news of Anthony's passing. I said, Barry, you're going to have to write a song for him now, aren't you? And um, over the subsequent years as it turned out I, every time I'd meet Barry I'd go how's the song coming on and he'd just shrug his head and say no nothing's coming I've got a bit of writer's block he just couldn't go there obviously the enormity of the grief that we all felt he just couldn't write what he was feeling and um, then on his fourth anniversary half the song was uh, revealed to me and he very kindly offered to donate it to my Orla's Wild Ways which was a a fundraiser I I set up to cycle the Wild Atlantic Way in memory of Anthony. I suppose I'd actually stopped nagging as well. So (laughs) the song came and, um, and I loved the first half of it. And then Barry being the artist and incredibly gifted that he is and also incredibly brave, even went more raw and more vulnerable with the rest of the song. And it just blew me away. It blew me away so much, Patricia. When I first heard it, I listened to it five times in a row. It's I was beautiful. just,
2: yeah, yeah. Well, it's, I have to say, when when, when I heard it uh, first, that that was my instant reaction was to replay it. I just thought, I've got to hear this again. It's just, it really is. There's a raw emotion. In his in his voice and in the words, and it it really it's it's a it's, it's it's just so touching. And then I suppose, Orla, when people started to hear that this was all about honouring Anthony, people more than willing then to step up and say we'll help out and we'll do anything that we can do to help out.
5: Oh, Patricia, people when they hear you're doing anything in memory of Anthony, they just open their doors, open their hearts, open their wallets. Um, like we've been, it's been amazing. Regeneron sponsored the production of the single. The IRFU stepped up and helped us launch it, and they created the video. And the enormous, like, people, there's a man I've never even met that has been helping me since the start of Orla's Wild Ways, and he's my background guy. He keeps a check and everything. And I've never met him. He's just a, a big monster supporter, and he just saw what I was doing and reached out and offered his services. And, you know, even I when I was cycling the Wild Atlantic Way. People giving you the use of their field to park your caravan overnight. Um, the Irish Wheelchair Association hosted me up in Mayo. Yeah. You know, it's just unbelievable. And it's what's wonderful about us Irish. We're so good when it comes to remembering our loved ones. And it's we're also so good for financing for charity. And I've seen the best of both because it's a charity fundraiser in memory of my big brother. And I, I hope we have honoured him and given him ah, the tribute. And you
2: more, you more than, you more than have done that. I, I, I can tell you, but it just shows the high regard, doesn't it, that Anthony was held in by so many people.
5: Oh, you can just feel the love. You know the the stories along the Wild Atlantic Way. People were telling me about him, Barry actually doing this amazingly, incredibly brave thing and writing this very, as you said, raw vulnerable song and actually sharing how much my brother meant meant to him and what the loss and how it has affected him and we can all have a conversation about our emotions. I think it's incredibly, it's incredibly generous spirit of everyone and uh, my brother himself was an amazing, generous spirit. He did so much work for all the charities Um, and one of the charities was actually, he was on the board, Midwest Cancer Foundation. And he donated his own testimonial monies to them. He was their ambassador. And he, you know, he was just incredible. So it's great to follow in his footsteps, raising awareness for Cry, Carrie, and Midwest Cancer Foundation. And as of last night, Patricia, between my own fundraiser and Barry's song, we have uh, 24,000.
2: Oh, because oh, when I knew you were coming on today, I checked it yesterday and it was at about 11,500.
5: Yeah, that's just the song. So people have been donating to both. Brilliant. So, um, and then that doesn't include the cost of production and getting the, you know, what the IRFU and Regeneron did. So, yeah, no, it's... It's brilliant. When I started, I thought if I got a thousand for each charity (laughs) because I've been in a pandemic, I would have been delighted. So this is beyond my wildest dreams.
2: And to launch it last weekend at the Ireland match against the All Blacks.
5: Oh that was like the dream of dreams, Patricia. Like it, from the all my life, like my dad played in the seventy eight teams that beat the All Blacks. Um an Irish team didn't actually beat the All Blacks from nineteen seventy eight until a few weeks after Anthony died with that incredible trivia Paca eight um in Soldier Field. and first to finally in all the all the years of being on the earth see us beat in the green jersey and we've done it three times since so to be able to die or a few to take it and help us launch it there was just such a fitting and it just shows what Anthony meant to them and how we're all feeling he's lost and how much we still love him and remember him and like have you seen the video
2: yet? Oh, no, I have yeah yeah, it made me cry, I have to say, watching it. The video was beautiful. And I just felt last weekend watching the match and such an exciting match. And, you know, to, to see Ireland win, you kind of felt Anthony was helping hand with that, I'd say. You
5: definitely did. But yeah. I have to also um, congr- con- congratulate the team because, you know, I feel that it, they really helped us launch the song by giving us such a memorable day. Yeah, yeah. And... um they're amazing. Like they, they, all have their own spirit, and definitely, I as C J Sanders says, you could definitely feel his spirit there, and he, you know he would have really enjoyed sitting in the stands with us. And um, he, like Anthony, one of my favourite quotes by Anthony is he wants to be remembered as a player who never gave up, and definitely that's a great lesson for all of us just to keep plugging away at life and doing our best. And um, it's it's a great gift to leave behind as well said. his legacy of how much he's loved. I think that has to be of some solace. It's definitely for me, and I'm, I
2: hope it's for the rest of my family. Well said. Well, well, well said. Tell me about your your cycle on the Wild Atlantic Way. You did it during the pandemic, didn't you? During Absolutely. lockdowns and everything.
5: Well, not during lockdown because I couldn't go out of county. Um, but it was born out of the lockdown, because okay. when would you ever get the time to do it? So I came up with the idea in October, and I got to cycle Claire, and then they locked us down, so I didn't get to go again till May, so I cycled Claire again because I couldn't leave the county <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> and then I as soon as we we could get going because I was cycling at weekends and working during the week, um as soon as we got going, off we went can say. And we travelled, so cycled all these amazing beaches and parts of the country. And I've always always loved Ireland and travelled within Ireland. I love it. But there's so many amazing gems. It was one of the most inspired, rewarding, amazing journeys of my life. And there was a little... Few hard hills, especially down your neck of the woods, Patricia. There's a lot of hills in Cork. <laughs> there is, there ones. is along
2: the Wild Atlantic Way and a lot oh. of a lot of bumps on the road as well. Because I know shortly after Anthony died, you did the you cycled the Camino, didn't
5: you? I did, I did. I cycled the Camino. Literally, we had the Legends game in Dublin for um, Anthony, and where the Irish Legends played um, England and. It was a wonderful occasion and then I hopped on a plane and I cycled uh two weeks of the Camino, literally flew into Barritz and cycled all the way down the north route of Spain and finished up on um Easter Thursday in um Santiago and it was absolutely that was very raw. There was a lot of um a lot of emotion running through me and a lot of tears as I was cycling along and it was a very healing journey. It was a lovely place to have a bit of headspace with my grief whilst moving through a beautiful, like I, I tell anyone, you know, do the Camino, do the Wild Atlantic Way in whatever form, whether you're cycling, walking, driving a car. It's absolutely, you know, we're so blessed to have such beautiful journeys.
2: There's a great, piece, there's a great piece about it, isn't there? And as you say, it's it's healing.
5: It's very healing. It was very healing and it's very easy because it's set up, you know, there's there's albergs where you can stay easily or nice hotels or guest houses along the way. Uh, pilgrim meals that are gorgeous. I thought I'd lose all this weight, Trish, <laughs> I came back <laughs> after cycling 960 kilometres, I came back a, a bigger girl than I left. <laughs> and there was some lovely food and I suppose all the muscles as well but uh, i developed cycling along the way but yeah, no, it, it was just it was a very healing journey and um, again, I raised money in Anthony's name at that time and um, I was very fortunate to be able to do it.
2: And then you did the similar then with the Wild Atlantic Way. Oh, yeah.
5: I, doing the original Camino, we only had two weeks, so I didn't have time to stop and swim and climb mountains, whereas having learned that I would have liked to have been able to do that on the first journey, I actually took that into this journey where, you know, I swam in a lot of the beaches. I climbed Brandon, did a few other climbs, and I actually stopped and savoured. Like, I literally went to every down every little sideway, byway, um, and really just took the time to take it all in and actually be present Stop and smell the roses, and like what an amazing our hedge grows. We have the most amazing flora and fauna in this country, and I literally
2: had the time and took them all in. Yeah, it's on our doorstep. It's on our doorstep. So it's five years. It's, 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 it's at times it's hard to believe. It's um, five years since you lost um, Anthony, but for you, I suppose it only feels like yesterday. In 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 other ways,
5: oh, it feels. Like two years would be sort of the way. Like the, I, I don't know if you've experienced grief. The, like the first two years are very raw. You, yeah. you know, it's it's a very everything sort of runs into each other, and you know, you're crying yourself to sleep, and you're waking up with pain in your chest that you think you're having a heart attack yourself because you've got that, that heaviness of pain. And then within the two years, that pain gradually eases, and you know, you still get caught, and you still mem. Remember Anthony and miss him dearly. And I know he's in a better place. um, And I know he's good. I have that known, but you still miss the physical. Yeah. And then I, you know, there was one year of enjoying life, and then we've had the. Pandemic. Yeah.
2: woken us us all up and brought us all back to reality and put us all on a level playing pitch uh, for sure. Well, he he is, I know, smiling down at you, uh, Orla, and extremely proud of his little sister because you certainly are keeping his memory alive. Listen, I've really enjoyed our chat. Good luck with your continued uh, fundraising. And I can see this. Are you going to play the song? Of course, I'm going to play the song. Here is uh, Barry Murphy with Alonia Stand. But Orla Foley, thank you for joining us on the program today. Thank you Patricia. Good afternoon. I mentioned when I was chatting with Orla that that great song Alonia Stand by Barry Murphy is available to download from idonate.ie forward slash stand and you can make a donation as little small or as much as you want uh, towards Orla's uh, charity and good luck to uh, Orla with all the fantastic charity work that she's doing in memory of Anthony Now some of your thoughts coming in when I mentioned photographs when a listener has an old disposable camera and looking to get it developed and just got me thinking about all the photographs down through the years that we would have had in the biscuit box at home or in the photograph album and are we missing out by not getting our photographs developed? A number of people on. it's so great to develop photographs it's fantastic to look back at them in print and it's much better than looking at them while flicking through them on a phone. Yeah, You never get to really see them right, do you, on a phone? Uh, Breeza said, O'Leary's camera shop in Oliver Plunkett Street developed those disposable cameras. Plus, Breeza said, she was in there and they fixed up her old camera for her, put a film into it and some batteries. <laughs> so she's off with her old camera taking photographs. Horgan's in for They do photo developing as well, says somebody else. Thank you for that. Camera World on Oliver Plunkett. Clunkett Street says another uh, listener and also hi Patricia I had photos developed at Bones in Mallow which is where I mentioned to the original texture had Adam done last year and it was also from a disposable camera so they definitely do them on disposable cameras. And uh, Therese says, Patricia, I found a few photographs that I developed from my phone this morning. I put them into a photograph album that I actually purchased at a charity shop. They look much better than on the phone that you were talking about. So I would suggest to others, get your photographs developed and pop them into a photo album. And I'm just even wondering, can you still buy those photo albums? It's interesting that you purchased one inside in a... Uh, Charity shop, certainly inside in photo photography shops, you probably would get the old photograph albums. But I'm wondering because so many few people are printing off photographs. Are they hard to come by as well? The old photograph albums. 1850 333 103. And others commenting on the piece that I read out that I found on the internet from the Middleton Funeral Services about reviving the old tradition for people. No matter where you are, if there's a funeral, hearse is passing you to just stop, bow your head and let the funeral, the hearse and the couple of cars that will be behind it with the Chief Morris just to let them pass and just show you respect Or If you're at a junction, let the cars pass out. Eileen uh, says, Patricia, well done for highlighting about funerals. Yes, it is a mark of respect to the person who's passed away and indeed to their families. My husband and I ran a business in Mitchellstown for many years. We always closed the door and turned off the lights when funerals are passing by and I'm aware that many other businesses in the town used to do the same. Yeah, that's the old tradition that I remember as well and I don't know though, uh, Eileen, if it's still there or not or our business is too busy, there are not enough staff to do it, I don't know. And Nora says Hi Patricia, we don't have to be told to stand as a funeral passes by. It's the first thing we do and we'd always bless ourselves as well. But of course there are some people who just seem to be in an awful hurry at the moment. They're in a hurry going nowhere and they, they don't have time to stop and stand for anyone which is a real shame. And Tom in Bantry says, when I lived in America if you came on a funeral and you were in a car, you had to pull in and let the funeral pass. If you didn't, you could be fined in certain states and you were fined for obstructing the funeral. Who knew? That's what's happening in the states. Thanks, Tom. And Leanne in Toker says, I always stop, always bless myself when I see a horse, even if I'm driving. I think it's the respectful thing to do. It is indeed. It. And according to a number of political correspondents, free antigen tests are to be made available to TDs and senators and their staff from next week. Now, see, there's a row in the doll about it at the moment, but if that's true, you really can't make it up because we had the minister yesterday for health saying that he couldn't afford to give free antigen tests to everyone because they're too expensive, and now suddenly they're going to give them to TDs and senators and their staff. That's where I leave you. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. Court today on C103
3: with Sean Cusack Insurances Can Sale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. See mig.ie.